Hello, I'm Russell Howard, and this is Wonderbox. A Wonderbox is a place where you keep the things that remind you of the stuff you adore. So I thought it would be cool to do a podcast where I ask some people what they put in their Wonderbox and have a chat about the most amazing moments of their lives. My guest today is a comedian who is obsessed with food. He does a podcast called Off Menu. He's a judge on Great British Menu, and he's a Taskmaster champion. This is Ed Gamble's Wonderbox. So, uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm Russell Howard. This is Ed Gamble. Hello. This is uh, producer Dan Atkinson. Hello. And we're going to chat about Wonderboxes. Wonderbox Eye. Wonderbox Eye. You know the concept, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. I read the email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which what? is more than I can say for a lot of things I do. Are you bombarded with offers to do shit like this? Do you mean pod- podcasts? Yeah, just sort of like... Uh, I'm going to ask you a personal question now. You've got lovely Please. hair. Thank you. Have you been offered a head and shoulders ad? I've never been offered a head and shoulders ad. Okay. I think... You know, I- thank you for saying my hair's nice. It is. Um, Obviously, constantly worried that I'll go bald because. Is your dad bald? Uh, my dad's pretty bald, but I think it actually apparently runs down the female line. So you've got to look at what oh, your yeah. mum's dad was like. And what's he like? Bald as hell. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm happy with my hair. I don't think it's head and shoulders ad worthy. Yeah. It doesn't look great when I whip it in slow mo. Oh really? It just sort of sits there. Yeah. Because the reason I ask, how old are you? Thirty-seven. Yeah, when I was thirty, which is what I thought you yeah. were, I was offered a Head and Shoulders advert. Were you? And my hair is not dissimilar to what yours was, and I was like, I wonder if he's, uh, I wonder if they're circling. Was that? It was before Jensen Button, uh, but after Joe Hart, <laughs> and it was a lot of money. But you know, when you weigh up that moment where you're like, well, I'll, I'll never be able to do stand up again because people will throw Head and Shoulders bottles on the stage. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't say anything about anything after you've done a Head and Shoulders. Ad. But I was I've often fantasised about the advert. Yeah, about what it would be. It would be me kind of before I go on stage. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it would oh, be. Yeah, it would be all that and and in the adverts at the end, the pack shot of yeah. of the Head and Shoulders, they always slam it on the table slightly too hard. I think. Yeah, they're like bang, yeah. let's go. Yeah, exactly. And then it's just you on stage and there's like a big laugh yeah and then i just look at myself in the mirror you know what i mean i just so whenever i see a head and shoulders at it really makes me laugh but i was looking at you as a as a young buck yes just going i wonder if those uh what if those animals are circling him i'd imagine they're gonna I, break one of us after they got in contact with you and you turned it down flatly yeah. they're probably like maybe comedy's not they just they just wait for their moment yeah, yeah they yeah. probably had a look at uh wagner when he was on the x factor <laughs> i'm just thinking like of, of people with good locks who do you think? Like, you could do it, Dan. It's Sam Ryder. Sam Ryder. Sam Ryder, surely. That's a good advert. Yeah. Happy, jolly, washes his hair. But I doubt there's probably animal products in it. I imagine head and shoulders, you know. I remember seeing a, a boot the other day and it said, all of these items on this, this shelf aren't tested on animals, which sort of implies everything <laughs> <Yeah>. else. <laughs> you know, when you yeah. kind of look at it, you go, this is a pretty big boot store. There's <laughs> just a few things. I'm just imagining rabbits with shaving cuts yeah. just going, all right, it works. It's the best a man can get shit for a rabbit. Yeah, a cat with loads of hair waxing. Are you... <laughs> What's a normal day for Ed Gamble? How do you start? Normally wake up, just no idea where I am, 10 minutes of, of panicking, then having to look at the diary on my phone to work out what my next step is. Flipping hell. Yeah, just confusion and panic. So you're in me. the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a day-by-day day inmate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. Then uh, coffee and breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so 10 moments of naked panic, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. have some toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's think, what's the first thing that's going in your box? 
Is the first thing that's going to go in your wonder box uh, a food? Yeah, man. Okay. Absolutely. It was the first thing that occurred to me. And what and what was that? Uh, halloumi. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is we've just been chatting about answers some other people have given. And there were quite sort of heartfelt connections yeah. to their family, like yeah. clearly some amazing warm stories about this. Yeah. And when I got the email and I read the email from beginning to end, um, my first thought was halloumi. Mm-hmm. And this is not connected with my family in any way. Doesn't matter. What, <laughs> I don't have a Greek Cypriot father. The, the but the whole point of this is what are the things that you love in life. So what is it about halloumi? It's always a treat. I could eat it every day, and it would feel like the first time I'm eating it. And halloumi can, I mean, it, it's a sturdy treat. It can take a battering. Oh my god! You can yeah. do all sorts of that, and yeah. you can still serve it. You know those um, those it's, adverts it, you get sometimes for like phone cases where it's normally some <laughs> posh guy throwing a phone in yeah. the air. You could do that with halloumi. Yeah. It doesn't need a case. Yeah, halloumi is the Muhammad Ali of cheeses. Yeah. I mean, it can absolutely rope a dope yeah, and yeah. still comes out and wins. Yeah, I mean, bar- it's one of the only cheeses you can stick on the barbecue. And what is it about that? that, that do you have it on its own? Do you have it with with other dishes? I mean, you can. The, the thing is, that we mentioned Nando's. Like, I'll I'll always get the halloumi from Nando's. So right. that goes very, it goes very well with a bit of chicken. Can have it by itself. When we used to go on holiday, uh, when I was a kid, halloumi and chips. Oh really? Oh, fantastic! Where did you have halloumi and chips? Cyprus. Okay. Very much, very much ground zero for halloumi. And was that the first time you'd had halloumi? Yes. Oh man, it blew my mind. I couldn't believe a food could be so squeaky. How How old were you? I was probably about six or seven. Really? Oh yeah, you're you're talking to a, a kid who grew up like Jay Rayner. Like my childhood, I would just eat anything fancy. That's so interesting. Yeah. And were your mum and dad kind of culinary? Well, my my mum was a. I grew up with my mum. My mum's a really good cook. Yeah. And my dad's a really good cook as well. Yeah. So I think it just it feels genetic. My love of food. My so sister... this has always been a thing for you. You've always. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was definitely the years where you probably met me first, where I was just wanting to get stuff into my face. Yeah, yeah. And actually, when I decided to lose weight uh, and try and think about what I was eating, that's when I really really got into food that's so interesting because i started to to think about what i actually liked and why i liked it and how it was made and making every meal worth it from a quality perspective rather than just pushing calories into my face so that's so fascinating i didn't know that i just assumed you kind of like because of the diabetes lost a load of weight and just what you were running a lot but you were carefully curating and yeah definitely because i just had a realization one day that i I would like walk into like the worst looking kebab shop and buy a burger. Yeah. And then when I started thinking about what I was eating, I was like, no, that's, you don't you don't enjoy that when you eat that. It's just the feeling of eating something. Yeah. And there's amazing burgers you can go and have. So why don't you plan out where you're actually going to go and you can still have the taste of a burger, yeah, but yeah. a really good taste. And you can spend hours looking on the internet trying to find out the best burger, reading countless lists. And it feels like... So there was a bunch of you, so Acaster, I know Phil Wang does that. There's a group of you that I sort of count as stable mates. But like, same generation, so But you'd yeah. hear sort of talk of you lot going to kind of Melbourne and finding like the best restaurant or going to Yeah. I remember our mutual friend Steve Hall mm-hmm. doing a gig with you up north. And yeah. you went for like a taster menu. Yeah, we did. That was me, Steve and Phil Wang, actually. Yeah. yeah but we, like before the gig. Before the gig, yeah. That Steve very much drove that. I think that was probably in my early days of really getting into restaurants and stuff. Uh and yeah, we we were in the Lake District and we went to Long Clume. Um, yes, which is Simon Rogan's restaurant. It's it's now got three Michelin stars, 
But Do you think it's, because you lot went? I think so. <laughs> I think it's a star for each of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the first restaurant on the trip, the uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon show. Right. Yeah. So we went, we went there, and I can't stress enough, it was not convenient because we had to get up to the Lake District for noon which is almost impossible yeah, from London. Yeah, yeah. And then we had to get a cab from the restaurant to the gig. It was like an hour cab or something. Right. But it was worth it. And the, presumably the gig was awful. Oh, dreadful. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. dreadful for many reasons. Just three tottering men. Just yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Like, because, 11 courses. Yeah, it, that's right. It was like a big old... Yeah, it was a proper, proper tasting menu, yeah. It's one of the great things, isn't it? I remember I was in America. We had a driver. I had like a bus. Our driver was called Cadillac Jack. And he was an old guy, sort of 70, and he'd come out of retirement to drive yeah. drive us around. And he used to drive uh, Steve Martin and Paul McCartney. He was an incredible place. Lives in Florida. And it used to be in... He was a soldier during the Vietnam War. And the government would send him a Viagra every month. And he was sort of saying he felt like he was being put under pressure by the US government to fuck like that. And he was like, Jesus Christ, like one a month. It's like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll get through them. But anyways. The, the Do po- they mean to send him a cyanide pill? Was it yeah, like probably, some spy yeah. thing? Just forget it everything. It'd yeah. be awful, wouldn't it, if you're a spy in the accident? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like it says... Pull on... your button off and pop in a Viagra. It, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, imagine that. We've given out the wrong dose. <laughs> just like this, these men aren't dying. <laughs> but um, we took him to a taster menu in Montreal. Because wow. he, was, he was so brilliant and we had these lovely sort of experiences. And I said to Cadillac, come on, man, like, we've got a day off. Let's go to this. And it was like this 10 course meal. And he was like, well, I've never been to one of these kind of places. You know, very, you know, normal, average American guy. He goes, OK, it feels a bit flash. And then suddenly I got super embarrassed. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, you drop me. With, I mean, I don't <laughs> n- normally do uh, Normally drop me. I eat normal stuff like that, sandwiches and that, whatever. And he was like, oh, are you sure it's not too fancy? And I was like, no, no, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. A bit of wine. All fine. And the first menu came out and it was some ham served in a boot. <laughs> and it was just this moment where you're like going, oh, and he was like, okay, is, is everything going to be? But it gradually got better. Yeah. And it was one of the experiences of the tour and he loved it. But the point I'm making, that feeling, it's kind of a memory. It's an experience. Yeah. Like, it's not like most, if you go out for a meal, like you almost don't know about, the, you sort of just get through it and you're having a chat and it's nice, it's socialising. But, for an actual event and mm. a memory and an experience, those those things are great. But you know, they they are wildly overpriced in most places. What is the greatest taster menu you've had? Oh, good question. So I went to Longclim again this year for my birthday, and it is absolutely phenomenal mm. to the extent that we are going back there for New Year's. Um, wow, it's inc- it's so good, and it's just like the the service is perfect. It's like relaxed and fun. But they're so across everything. Yeah, we went to Noma, which was pre- is Noma that... is in Copenhagen. Yeah, for a few years it was voted best restaurant in the world. It's actually shutting down this year. That was incredible for the experience. The food was very good, but then they do some dishes where they're like, "We want to make a splash." So there was like duck's brain served in the skull. Okay, and they, it's like it didn't taste of much. Here's a vulgar question: mm. You know when you've eaten a multi-varied menu? Mm. The next day, that first fart, mm. it's different, isn't it? I mean, lovely that you think I'm waiting until the next day to okay. do my first fart. <laughs> but but the point I'm I make between it, course three and four. But once your body's had time to really digest yeah. it, that first fart, it's oh, it's wild. Yeah, but it's, it's all like going a, on. It's like um, in Willy Wonka when she has the sweet. <laughs> the, 
tastes of all the different courses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like that in a guff. <laughs> Are there any cheeses you hate that you won't go near? <sighs> no. I love all all cheeses, even the terrible, even like the cheese string dairyly triangles. Really? I love it. Well, cheese strings are, you know, it's a scientific marvel, isn't it? How have they done that? That is true. I was never a cheese eater as a kid. Were like not? it nah, we like sort of Edam or Baby Bell would make their way into occasionally, you know, my school lunchbox. And that was about it. Yeah, ba- well Baby Bells are great fun for kids, right? Yeah. Because, you know, we're eating the cheese and then we're rolling up the wax and throwing it at Absolutely. someone. Absolutely. Yeah. But my wife used to eat Stilton as a six year old. Yeah. Which I find kind of mind blowing. You're nodding, and Dan, Dan. Yeah, I mean you're a cheese freak. <laughs> I, like, I like a bit of cheese. That's rich though for a six year old. Stilton. <laughs> but but uh, your wedding, yeah. Dan. You uh, instead of asking for gifts, you asked for cheese. Yeah, not just for me. It was for the cheese for uh, everyone to share. I wasn't. Well, it wasn't oh, home. Oh, oh. You weren't asking for home cheese. <laughs> that is absolute bollocks. <laughs> Like, as if we were all shit. Like, the cheese was for you. Everything went out. Yeah, yeah, and everything went up. Not yeah, all of it. to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not at our wedding, man. The cheese just got brought out too quietly. And was just put in the corner. And then no one told me the cheese was there. Given that you are now a renowned foodaholic, mm. the, who decided the menu for the wedding? Was that, was that you and your... Palmer. Yes. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is not a funny story, but the That's original eight. the original caterer went bust over COVID. So right. we'd spent ages picking the menu with them and working with them and they were they were great. And then obviously COVID like ravaged a lot of the hospitality industry. So we found we found someone new who were fantastic, but it was a bit more of a rush. Like we didn't have time for much of a tasting or anything. But it was fantastic, but we also needed to think about what everyone wanted and not just what Ed wants. That's a direct quote. Oh, okay. <laughs> what did what did Ed want? What is Ed's? Well, to be honest, I would have been happy with like getting some sort of massive Texan guy in the in the grounds to do some sort of slow cooked barbecue stuff, right? And, and then just have people queued up. Have you spent time in any kind of slow cooked barbecue places in? Um, yeah, in tra- travelled around the states a bit for work. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So managed to get a good sort of hit of barbecue in a lot of those places. So especially in Texas, Sixth Street in in Austin, there's a really great barbecue place just off of it and there's also a place called voodoo donuts yes i've heard is that in portland there might be one in i, Port- one I, in portland, I imagine there's yeah. one in portland as well yeah. the one i've seen it, it was in austin and it had bacon on the on the donut yes i've not been to voodoo donuts but i do remember it from uh, an episode of diners drive-ins and dives oh, jesus christ <laughs> you're in deep i'm a big food network guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so so even when you're not talking about food eating food you're watching people talk and eat food. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Here's a question. When you're out at a restaurant, are you watching other people? Because there's certain... Listen, I've got a real problem. Like in Denmark, a big thing they've got is porridge bars. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go out young, hip kids. Just yeah. they eat porridge, so they go out yeah. for like... Like, hey, do you want to come and go to a porridge bar? Me, absolute losers. But fucking right. But but more so, the experience of watching, you know, a middle-aged couple eat porridge for a window is <laughs> gent- like the Danes are a beautiful people, but no one's pretty when they're slopping no, no, porridge no. into their mouth. Porridge is a porridge is a private food. But exactly. But my point being, are there certain foods that you watch people eat where you want to slap it out of their face? Well, I mean. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of noodles this, is tricky to... Yeah. So one of my first dates I went on with my wife was to Wagamama's and we realised it was a horrible mistake. 
because if the noodle's too long and you're trying to suck that noodle up, it's yeah. not a pleasant thing to watch. You both end up looking like Dr. Zoidberg. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the noise. I guess that's the point I'm making. You must be quite close to, like, have you ever seen Greg Wallace eat? Uh, I've not seen him eat. I did do a radio show with him the other day. But but on telly, I struggle watching him eat. Yeah. It, I mean, he's going at it like a rabid dog. <laughs> yeah. And it's. I just feel sorry for these people. They prepare these glorious courses. And then Wallace looms in. Yeah. I've not seen you eat on the Great British menu. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's pleasant. But I imagine it's daintier. Yeah, it? like, I think they probably edit out the worst bits. But, but... he's coming in like the apocalypse. <laughs> it's, do you know what I mean? And it's just that remarkable. I just find it mind-blowing that nobody did the screen test and yeah. went, can he, do you know what I mean? Can he come sideways onto the horse rather than leaping on it and grabbing it by the mane? So, so what's next? Is there anything that isn't food-based? Uh, good question. No. Okay, okay. Well, I think I was going to say my tour next year, but that's called Hot Diggity Dog. Um, and that tickets are available? Now. And on what's the website? Oh, eggamble.co.uk. There you go. I've got a book coming out. What's the book called? Well, oh, that's about food. Is it? Uh, yeah. What's it called? Glutton, the multi-course life of a very greedy boy. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's it like writing a book? I loved it. Yeah. I really loved it. I loved being in the same place for a few months doing something. That's interesting. That was fun. Did you write it at home? Yeah, I wrote it at home, yeah. yeah. And just, it's fun having a having a normal work day. Yeah. Like getting up in the morning, panicking about where I should be, realise I have to be at home, and yeah. just sitting sitting at a desk and getting something done. So what is the next thing you've got in the box? Uh, the next thing in the box is pro wrestling. Okay. Take me through this. I was obsessed with wrestling when I was a teenager. So it would have been perfect for you, I think. Well, are we talking like Ultimate Warrior, uh, those kind of cats, Hulk Hogan? Uh, yeah, maybe it's post post Hogan. So uh, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart, po- slightly post that. So it's the the Attitude Era of uh, WWF. There's a wrestler called the Attitude. <clears throat> no, no, no. They, they <laughs> it's it's a lot like art. They uh, they look back on an era and they will name it. <laughs> oh, I see. That. I was so, going to say so if he was called era. if he was called the Attitude, no. <laughs> that is a great name. The Rock versus the Attitude. <laughs> so it is more the Rock. So it's sort of like '98 to 2002 has been subsequently named the Attitude Era. I see. And it's the Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's when Vince McMahon became the bad guy as well as running the company. Yeah, it's all of that. It's all of those guys basically. Okay. And that I was really into it then. Then stopped watching it because I was like, I'm a grown up. I'm not going to watch yeah. wrestling. It's so silly. And then weirdly, my wife got into professional wrestling about two years ago, and I just started idly watching it, watching WWE and watching AEW, which is like the big challenger federation. Yeah. And now I'm obsessed with it again. Wow. But with full knowledge that it is a ridiculous thing to be into as a 37 year old man. But a great thing to be into, I mean, you know, me and my wife watched Top Boy together and that feels weird. You know, two middle class people watching Top Boy <laughs> feels odd, but watching two middle class people watch wrestling, I mean, yeah, that yeah. really takes it up a notch. But yeah. I'm kind of envious of that because that will never end. So you and your wife are going to have this. Have you gone to wrestling matches? Yeah, we went a few weeks ago, actually. Uh, AEW did their first ever show in the UK Mm -hmm. at Wembley Stadium. Mm. And it was the best night ever. Yeah. I find when I walked into Wembley Stadium and saw the ring, I finally understood sports. But what, as someone that does like sport, like I love football. Yeah. And a lot of my mates got into wrestling. I could never do it. Yeah. And I, I, the thing I often struggle with, and this is, you know, it's the obvious point, it's not real. Yeah. So how do you get beyond this? Yeah. Is, is wrestling ballet for people who aren't willing to admit they like ballet? <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely an element of ballet to it, yeah. certainly. 
But there's so many different elements to it. So it's also a soap opera. Yeah. It, and it's it's very athletic. Yeah. Like and obviously, you know, the results are pre planned or whatever and they're writing a whole storyline. But everyone knows that now. So what's really funny is looking at people like get wrestling fans getting angry on the internet and going yeah. like, Oh, I can't believe he won. Yeah. Like, it's like they're not complaining about the sport, they're complaining about the writing. Yeah. Okay, right. And I, I just I love all of that together, and the some of the performers in in these things are like the ultimate performers. They've got they've got so much going for them. Right. So presumably, it's not a surprise for you to see The Rock become the biggest entertainer in the world. No, not at all. Yeah. Like the the best wrestlers, the guys who rise to the top, um, are amazing actors. They're amazing comedians. They're amazing sports people. Yeah. And that's it's rare to find that. As a, as a combination and he used to just am I right in saying he used to just walk around in black pants yeah he had black pants and uh, and sort of like knee protectors yeah a lot of the, I think you you sort of have to wear knee protectors and... but, but my point being there's very few workplaces where you could rise to the top and be so good within your work that you actually then you dominate another workplace yeah like you can be the best stockbroker in the world, but if you're walking around in in black pants, in black, black pants, yeah, nobody's inviting you to write a book. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of, and there's something because it wasn't flash. No, well, that's that's yeah, that's a really interesting thing about about him and quite a lot of other guys who who've done really well is, I think people think in wrestling like you've got to have a big gimmick, like. There's been some ridiculous gimmicks in the past, like Coco Beware had a parrot on his shoulder. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, and there's just there's been some insane things. Isn't that weird? Imagine having a parrot. Surely a parrot would... It depends how you get on with it, but presumably a parrot... I've often thought that with pirates. Like, if a pirate was making love, does the parrot come with? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And just, oh, I'm she sure. likes that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But a parrot, man, imagine that. There's still time for you to start having a parrot on on your shoulder. When Do you know you're the on only stage. gimmick I want? I remember doing a gig in Edinburgh years ago, and I had a pipe for the uh, for the entirety of the gig. I, I found a pipe backstage. Flipping out! I tell you what, it really elevates you. After every punchline, yeah, pop, mate. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. I, it was, but it was such a good gimmick. I was like, I, I'm gonna have to put this away. Yeah, because I can't compete with the pipe. Yeah. Um, the, well, you've the always pipe, got that in the back pocket now, right? Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. What so? Because it's so interesting to talk about wrestling. Because Rick Rubin is mm-hmm. a massive fan. Yes, and he speaks about it in a very similar way to you. Yeah. He finds it a he finds it like a real shut off. Yeah, and it almost a bit like you know the way that people enjoy like reality telly or kind of listen to pop music or something that's just a bit to the outside a bit kind of vacuous or whatever yeah. is it is it the switch off that you enjoy totally and i i find, i mean there's there's some guys in AEW now that uh, are just i think the best performers in the world right in anything yeah there's a guy called MJF who is absolutely hilarious like if he wanted to be a comedian he'd be an incredible comedian. And what does MGF stand for? Uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Okay. I also really like it when wrestlers just use their normal names. Yeah. I remember watching uh, WCW with my dad when I was like 10 or 11. Yeah. And some ridiculous named wrestlers came out and then they announced the next wrestler and he was called Ron Simmons. (laughs) And I just remember my dad absolutely (laughs) pissing himself laughing. Was your dad into like the 80s wrestling when they were called like Big Daddy? Yeah, like the British stuff. Yeah, Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy and all of those guys. Are you familiar with Jeff Kellett? No. So my friend Will Hmm. uh, was telling me about Jeff Kellett 
but he um, apparently he was sort of like, yeah, the modern guys who watch modern wrestling, man. Jeff Kellett was ahead of the curve, man. I remember one day he was walking in into the ring and a pig bit his hand. <laughs> and um, and then Kellett got got the man a stamp on his hands and the pus went everywhere and then Kellett damn near nearly killed the man. <laughs> and um, I've never checked to see whether any of that's true. <laughs> but I love the fact that in kind of British wrestling in the 80s, there was no foam hands. No, no. There was no, no kind of hot dogs and chanting. People yeah. are carrying pigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they do, they do a bit of that. I'm, I'm less into... They'll do, like, these things called death matches where they use thumbtacks and sheets of glass and oh, God. all of that stuff. And it's a bit it's a bit full-on for me. A bit much. Yeah, there's a guy called uh, John Moxley in AEW. And when we went to Wembley Stadium, he tried to put all these skewers in a guy's head. Oh, then, God! But then got it countered. So this guy ended up putting skewers on his head and then, like hammering them in with his hand. I've got a picture of him with just like two skewers sticking out of his head. Oh my God. But they love it. Those guys are unhinged. And is that bollocks? Or is it, he's actually... No, he's actually doing it. And like, you know, you smash a guy over the head with a chair. There's no way of faking that. So they are actually doing that. You put someone through a pane of glass. That sometimes they use like fake glass, but yeah. there has been times where they've just used real glass. Like fluorescent light tubes, just smashing them on people. That's all. It's it's real. But... So presumably, if like Jake the Snake Roberts went to IKEA, he'd be getting flashbacks left, right, and centre. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I remember that. <laughs> he had a snake, presumably. He had a snake in a, in a bag. Yeah, he'd walk yeah. on with a snake in a bag and yeah. tip out into the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the snake stay when he was travelling? I think he like he looked after the snake like a pet. Yeah. Right. I've seen some pretty depressing documentaries about those guys as well. Like it bre- it breaks people. Yeah. But you know, it's a laugh for a bit, isn't it? <sighs> did you take part in any of the wrestling in Edinburgh? I did. I've done it in London. Okay. So I, okay. I did it last year uh, for JFL London. So right. yeah. So it's Max and Ivan who are a brilliant double act. Yeah. Run run a sort of comedy wrestling thing yeah. once a year or so and train comedians up to be wrestlers. And do you find, do you get pissy when people aren't doing it right? No, because it's so hard. Okay. So I did like... Or not taking it seriously. Oh, yeah, definitely that. Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, people are a bit sort of snotty about it and I just think don't do it if you're, if you're going yeah. to mess around. I mean, I was asking for extra training sessions. I was like a proper nerd with it. Right. I was like, is there any way that I could come in and do another training session to run through the match one more time? <laughs> so this was your soccer aid? <clears throat> oh, man, absolutely. Yeah. And I was sort of getting back into wrestling and then I did that and then I was like fully, I was fully back in. Because that is, out of any sort of live performance I've ever done, that was the biggest buzz. Really? Yeah. It was incredible. Isn't that interesting? The so, first bump that I took, so I was like dragged up on the side of the ring and Max and Ivan fully flipped me over the ropes yeah, and yeah. down onto my back. Yeah. And then you just heard the crowd go. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Fuck, that's so interesting. And also, ow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've made it. I'm, di- I'm dying. Well, it's a similar theme to the next thing you're going to put in. Mm. Yes, mosh pits. More, yeah. more violence. So you like getting smashed about. I, now, I've, yeah. I've seen mosh pits and they don't look like my cup of tea. And the fact that I'm using the phrase, they don't look like my cup of tea. I don't think I've ever seen a mosh pit and seen anyone that looks like they drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but presumably they have downtime. Yeah, there's, I, I'd, say, I'd say there's plenty of tea drinkers in there. There's, yeah, it, but there's no time to ask. No, no. <laughs> Doing, just whacking each other. Do you like, oh, great, or breakfast? <laughs> it's a much friendlier atmosphere in there than it would look like from the outside. Really? Yeah, people are looking after each other. There's there's an understanding in there. Like but even for the kind of music you're into. Yeah. And we should point if anyone doesn't know, you're into like, you know, it's like what's the metal called? It's like 
I like all sorts of metal, really. I like, you know, I like thrash metal. I yeah. like death metal. I like metalcore. I like, you know, and I really like, you know, hardcore and punk and all of that stuff as well. Yeah, and yeah. just, I, I swore off mosh pits for a bit because I was like, I'm getting too old for this. Yeah. I'm going to end up end up with an injury. The guy that was, um, uh, is he called Jason Momoa? From Momoa. A- Momoa. Yeah. From Aquaman fame. He was in one recently. And um, that would be me out of the mosh pit if I saw that guy. Absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah, the king of the oceans yeah. in there. Um, the, what, the leader of the Dothraki? Yeah. But he he looks so happy in that mosh pit. Yeah. But, he, but because he's such a kind of huge, handsome man, he looked like he was doing country dancing. So he's going around in this kind of mad circle and you see the other people in the queue go, fucking hell. Yeah. He's a big lad. But you say people look after each other because yeah. it doesn't look like there's any conviviality in there. It looks like it's kind of, I am an anarchist. Yeah. And there's kind of, you're yeah, seeing it. There's that, but I don't think, I don't think anyone's deliberately putting elbows in on people. No one actually wants to specifically hurt people. So what are you doing then? What's the... What just bumping the... into each other, jumping around. There's the circle pit where everyone just runs around in a circle, which feels very silly when you're doing it. So, but why are you doing it? What's wrong with swaying? Or just well, you can't, t- just tapping you can't, your knee. You can't sway to that music. You need to do something. Is that, so that's what it is. It's a compulsion, yeah. So metal makes you move. Yeah, okay. totally. And move into other people at high speed. <laughs> that's so interesting. So is it like, do you listen to metal at home? Yeah. And w- what do you do when you're listening to it? Do you ever like just like bump into your wife? Yeah, yeah, kick the cat, stuff like that. <laughs> but does um, it, but like... Yeah. As it, it's a very kinetic music, isn't it? Yeah, I think live it feels different. Yeah. So at home, I'll listen to it, pick up on the nuance because there are nuances mm-hmm. for any doubters out there, and just really, I'll really get into it. I'll do like screw face a lot. What screw face? Oh, okay. like really, really yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but live, like quite often, if it's a band I really like and I know the song, I'll be hanging around outside the mosh pit, and then I'll be like, no, gotta go, and straight in. Screw face looks very similar to the face you'd pull if you were having a shit after an 11 course meal. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's got that same. Do you know what I mean? Are you making similar noises? Yeah. <laughs> so if people get knocked over, for example, yeah. as always happens, people will get knocked over onto the floor. It doesn't just carry on. So if someone sees that, they'll push everyone else back, help them up, and then carry on. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't know. I've been that. in mosh pits where people are looking for people's glasses. Okay. People are looking for people's phones. Someone will go, I lost my glasses. And everyone will be searching around on the floor for wow. people's glasses. Yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. I just assumed glasses were stamped on. Yeah, I mean, they might. you might find them and they're crushed, but I think people will try and help other people if there's been an issue, yeah. And I know you've spoken about this because your face doesn't suit the music you're yes. into. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is a, that's a drum I've beat many a time. Because we all feel that nerve, don't we? First time we go into a pub, first time yeah. we go into like a disco, whatever it may be, nightclub, whatever your place. But for you, going into like a, a metal gig, a thrash metal gig, mm. with a face that screams... Bloody hell, I love Halloumi. Yeah. <laughs> what is that like? Because that must be a different level of terror for like an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was 18, I was a lot more, I would dress the part as well. Right. Okay. So I had a leather trench coat. I had big boots with flames on. Did you? I dyed black hair and eyeliner and all of that stuff. So I was a bit, I would dress the part a bit more. Whereas now I look a lot more uh, corporate. But that now, presumably, there's the added thing of like they're like, "What's that bloke from Great British?" Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of that, but also I speak about metal enough that people know that people know, and I've been in mosh pits where I've been running past someone and you see 
a, a look in their eyes where they're like, yeah, metal, and then they go, oh, yeah. they just suddenly <laughs> realise who it is and come and speak to me afterwards. But they're oddly sort of counter, and well, they're not counterculture, but they're certainly they're on the fringes of the mainstream. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating is the fact that you're into kind of you're into wrestling and going there. Mm-hmm. But then you also, you know, present a BBC food show. Yes, yeah, yeah. But you also go to thrash metal. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a real spread. And I love that. Yeah. I love I, I love the spread. Were there were there types of music that your mates were into, and you tried to get into to kind of conform? Because not everyone's into thrash metal. No, you, but we but at the same time as the Attitude Era. Uh, there was a big push in popularity of new metal, so it was like when Limp Bizkit and Corn and Slipknot all came out. So they were your gateway drugs. In, yeah, and in my school, like that was actually popular. Right. So we all got into it at the same time. Yeah. But then my personality is I tend to get obsessed with something and want to be the person who's most into it. Yeah. So I went deep, and then by the time I sort of stuck my head above water, everyone else was into Top Loader. Right. <laughs> it's so funny given the music they do, but Limp Biscuit. Mm. It's a hilarious name. Yes. Like, we're like floppy digestives. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, when you're dunking a, a biscuit in for too long and it just falls in <laughs> and you've got it, so you got to pick it out. That's us. Yeah. I mean, I, I always assumed that Limp Biscuit was a reference to Soggy Biscuit, but then I found out it's not, so it must just be my brain. Hasn't the world of conspiracy theories changed? Because when we were kids, it was Crop Circles and Soggy Biscuit. Those were the two. <laughs> things do you know what i mean like private school kids yeah that was i went to a comprehensive school and the rumor was if they go to a private school seriously they all get around yeah. in a circle and and they jack off onto a biscuit and then they eat it do well you know, I, I went i went to a private school but it was you? a day school so we used to say that about boarding school people <laughs> oh did you yeah, yeah, yeah so it all went up yeah yeah what's the name of the actor that looks like the otter benedict cumberbatch yeah because i <laughs> I saw... You two have been working together for too long. But, I, but this is what I mean about things staying with you forever. I saw Benedict Cumberbatch in a coffee shop yeah. and he ordered a cookie and I sat down. Like, genuinely, I was going, I was going here we go. Right, finally, we're going to get an answer. What but if, surprisingly, yeah. he didn't get everyone to jack Weird. off onto it. Like, like, but they were far of me going, yeah, huh, huh? If it's a good cookie, it should be soft anyway, right? Yeah, so. but, but the point I'm making, but as, as far as conspiracy theories go... It was, a, it was an innocent time. Yes. You know, there was one about like traffic lights stopping at a certain time and they were run by the Queen. But now... <laughs> and that one never reached our school. Yeah, but now the, tra- the really... traffic lights were run by the Queen. What is the, uh, what is the next thing? Uh, it's a champagne sipper. What's a champagne sip? That sounds like somebody you hire. So I imagine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cool. I mean, I, I realise when I sent it through, it's a slightly confusing uh, thing to put in. But yeah. but when I was thinking of actual things to put into a box, yeah. Like one of the only sort of romantic things I've saved from you know my relationship with my wife is this champagne sip, which is like a little cone that you put into the top of like a mini bottle of champagne, so you can drink from it. Oh, right. We were in Japan in 2018, and that's when I proposed on the first day of that trip. How weird is that? I proposed in Japan. Did you? In Tokyo? I did, yeah. Whereabouts? At the (laughs) hotel where Lost in Translation was. All right, nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I proposed in a park. Um, (laughs) Loads of people doing Tai Chi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that night, we got, like, smashed up and went to... uh, Did you go to Piss Alley? It was around there, so we went to that robot restaurant. Yeah. Um, where you basically, I mean, it's not even a restaurant. They don't really serve food, but you just go and sit in, 
you know, there's rows and then there's this very mad parade of, you know, guys riding robots and flashing lights and all of this. Yeah. And it was really fun. But I just, um, we bought these little bottles of champagne from there and they give you these little golden cones to stick in so you can drink from the bottles right. of champagne. I just remember, I will never forget this, my wife being really like tipsy, not hammered, but just like tipsy. And yeah. there's this mad robot show going on so loud but you can still hear her above all of it going, I'm engaged at the robots, just screaming, <laughs> trying to tell a robot that she was engaged. What a great memory. Yeah. It feels like, it sounds like you were in the bar for Star Wars, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. What did you, did you have any food? Not at the robot restaurant. We had, we went on to have two dinners that night. Uh, what's we known did... in the game is a, a bang bang. Yeah, a bang bang, yeah. I, um, after I proposed to my wife, I had to go off and do a sumo wrestling match. And my wife came out and I proposed and then had the shit kicked out of me by a man in pants. <laughs> if you were going to plan yeah. how you thought the day went, <laughs> it wouldn't have been that. I mean, yours sounds a lot better. Yeah, so and we're, yeah. I mean, what I would recommend, if anyone's going to propose to anyone, do it in a country where there's a big time difference. Because then there's like hours where you can't tell anyone else yeah. and it's just your thing. It's an incredible place, Japan, isn't it, for for us guys in the West? Because there's, you know, everything's so homogenized now. You always feel like you're kind of, you know, you're connected. But it's one of those places where you genuinely feel so far removed from the culture spinning around you. Do you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. don't, they don't speak English. There's no signs in English. We're so lucky that everything got, and here it is in English. For, oh, thank God. But it's a real window into how the rest of the world must feel. Totally. That's what yeah. I loved about it. I mean, in terms of culture shock, you say things are a bit more homogenised now and the internet's made a sort of global culture, really. Yeah. So it's less of a culture shock arriving there than I guess people used to have in the past when people were like, oh, we're going to Japan. They're like, holy hell. Yeah. What is going on? Well, I think one of the things that fascinated me was in the uh, supermarkets. They had disposable pants at the front of the queue. Mm -hmm. And I was asking our guide... I said, what's all this about? And he kind of goes, yeah, like when they drink, they drink to excess. And yeah. if the boss drinks, you've got to match the boss, yes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, There's yeah. this kind of family sort of business culture and they just shit their pants. So they have disposable pants where the businessmen change their underwear. That can't be a good feeling at the beginning of a night putting your disposable pants on. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> right, well, it's going to happen. Yeah. So. But can you imagine that moment? Or, or even worse, when your boss goes, come on, lads. And he pulls out five pairs of disposable pants. Ah, oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, no. <laughs> Looks like we're going to Shitsville again. But I've never <laughs> drunk to the level that I've shat myself. I mean, that isn't once or twice. If every supermarket has yeah. them at the front, yeah. that's endemic. Yeah, there's surely got to be an argument for just letting people like Winnie the Pooh it on the yeah. night out. <laughs> but I've, if and, everyone's doing it, just no trousers or pants. But, and yet the trains run on time. <laughs> but this, this is the mind-blowing thing about, yeah. about the Japanese as a culture. They're drinking until they shit, and if a train is two seconds delayed... The uh, the CEO, you know, shuts down. Yeah, leaves I, the I, I love it. I mean, we're going back next year, and we're sort of booking stuff at the moment. It's brilliant, and you can buy food from the station that is incredible. Oh, really? Yeah, like the shops in the stations, or like sell amazing bento boxes, um, and they sell some bento boxes that have got a device in them where you pull the tag out and they warm up. Oh well. my god! It's fantastic. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so I'm really looking for. I, I could happily just go on a train every day. Yeah, Japan. man. Yeah. Have you seen? It's called. Is it Journey Across the World? Have you seen that? No. 
What's it called, Dan? Race Across the Race World. Race Across the World. Okay, I think I'm aware of it. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. We're basically, and they're now doing a celeb version of it, but before they have um, people that sort of travel with their wife or their mum or their sister or whatever, and they have to get for, they have to get all the way across Canada. And it's just bus journeys or train journeys. Yeah. You do it the quickest way you can. That seems, I think, well, I wonder if that's a stand-up thing. I don't know any of us that wouldn't enjoy doing that. But hang on a minute. I think, didn't you do that, the show with the Hunted. Trump? That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah, we did you, Celebrity You Hunted. and James did that. Yes, which was a wild experience. And in case anyone doesn't know, it's basically where you've got hired and yeah. some trained, uh, what are they? They're just, all like ex-coppers, really. Like, right. But then, you know, people who have worked for the government and things like that, they have an HQ, the Hunters, and they basically try and track you down using CCTV or an impersonation of what the CCTV powers are. And then, you know, they're, they're not supposed to use social media and work out where you've been spotted, but sometimes they do. Okay. Uh, and they basically try and hunt you down. So we were on the run for about eight days, I think. Where did you hide? Well, we, we sort of took a different approach to it. So we all, all the teams left from Shrewsbury Prison. Yeah. And we walked into Shrewsbury Town Centre and went to a Michelin-starred restaurant. <laughs> okay. So we had a tasting menu. <laughs> There's an amazing shot of us sat at the table. And I think James says something like, the onion jam is the star of the show. And you can hear a chopper outside the restaurant. Wow. Because they were like flying a helicopter over Shrewsbury. And like, I think they've got in there. It's like... And we're like, no, martini, please. So that's an unbelievable start. But yeah. you, you managed to evade them for eight Yeah, then we went to the Glee Club in Birmingham and slept on the floor, which was great. Got some nice delivery there. They cut out a lot of the stuff we did because I think we did too much. Like, we should have done more yes, research. But it feels like you're having a trip. Yeah. we. So the next day, I think we went to about four different cities in one day. Right. Uh, we went to Bakewell and had a Bakewell pudding set on a wall. That was lovely. We went to Marlow and went to Tom Carriage's place, The Hand and Flowers. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> Every night ended with a pint. Did you win it? No, God, no. We got caught. So that was... that. So, so we didn't even get to it. So it's the... Sh so the champagne sipper is just... I'm a, I'm a sentimental guy, but very rarely will I keep little uh, trinkets. Yeah, yeah. So and that, that is something that I, I was like, I'll take this. This will remind me of this. And that's I, a I've memory portal yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you a champagne fan? Yeah, I like champagne. I can't handle champagne very well. Yeah. If I have a glass of champagne at the beginning of something, it's normally the start of a big night. It's always a wedding, isn't it? Yeah. Like a, a champagne. And my wedding was a very boozy affair. My... We were handing out espresso martinis. Yes. And that yeah, we was, that. That, I mean, producer Dan making a face. That was the real moment that everything changed. It's always a tipping point, though, espresso <laughs> but martinis. But that was at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And th there's a photo. Did you hand out disposable pants as well? <laughs> <laughs> like, 3 p.m. is very bold for espresso martinis. Well, yeah, exactly. But it was so funny watching it. It was like the purge, man. It was just <laughs> aunties and... We, we did espresso martinis at like 9.30, 10 p.m. Yeah, that's the correct And it is time. funny watching people because... Because espresso martinis are relatively recent, like 10 years yeah. that people have really got into them. Yeah. So there's a whole generation that have never had an espresso martini. Yes. And watching them have them for the first time is a treat. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. My mum loves them now. She's like, oh, should we have some of those espresso martinis again? Yeah. <laughs> my wife's granddad, who is in his 90s. Oh, did he have one? So he had three. <laughs> wow. He had three. He had to be sent to bed. <laughs> Well, he's probably bouncing off the walls. Yeah, my father-in-law was like, "Dad, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to go to bed." It's so lovely, isn't it? Like those when all the family are there. The thing that's wonderful about a wedding is it's this moment when you not only do you love your partner, but you genuinely feel loved 
Yeah. But it's so rare to be in a room where you're like, everyone in this room likes me. Like, do you know what I mean? And given I mean, what... that is very interesting, Russell, because <laughs> we both do a job where yeah. we walk on stage and you've got to assume most people in the room like you, right? Well, you'd think that, but our job is to reassure them Yes. That they still like us by the end of the night. <laughs> Whereas the feeling at a wedding is, I could do pretty much anything and they'd still like me. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's sort of, it's it feels so unconditional in a world in which everything has a condition. Yeah. I, I remember saying to my wife as we were leaving, it just feels like, like I feel such a pure happy. It feels like, the exact words I use were, it feels a bit like I've been sniffing glue all my life and I've just done proper heroin. <laughs> And she went, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, so, I had a good Right, so next, this is probably my favourite uh, of all of them because I, I can't tell where it's going to go. What is the well, final thing you'd like to put into the Wonder Box? I got to number five and I panicked and okay. I just thought, what do you genuinely like? And it's Mr Blobby. Okay, and why is it with Blobby? I think if you had to sum up British culture... Yeah. It would be Mr. Blobby. Okay. Well, in that it's a bit shit. <laughs> I, I would hugely disagree. I think Blobby is the ultimate art. Imagine Blobby in a mosh pit. Well, do you know what I'd love? Go on. I'd love Blobby in the mosh pit to be hit so hard he doesn't say Blobby. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Just like, just to hear Blobby go, blah, blah, blah. oh, fucking hell, mate. <laughs> like, Jesus, you fucking idiot. I mean, Blobby, Blobby, Blobby. I, I just love the energy of Blobby, and I think Blobby represents something that we all want to be, wow, which is that's... just crashing into a room and just smashing the place up, tripping over stuff, screaming the to- at the tops of uh, tops of our lungs and then leaving again. Just but chaos. But that's what I mean. So he's called Mr Blobby. Yeah, yes. He rocks up uninvited. Yeah. Wrecks the place. Yes. Screams his own fucking name. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then walks off. I can't listen. The whole point of this, it's it's meant to be positive. It's it's a celebration. Yeah. But you're gonna to have to convince me on this. Because with... even age day, I was like, this guy's a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think I'm surprised. I, I thought all comedians love Blobby because Blobby is the purest distillation of comedy. It's, it's physical comedy, it's wish fulfillment. It's, you know, paucity of words. He's very economic with everything he says. <laughs> he is, he is. He gets straight to the point. Yeah, yeah. There's a clip of uh, Blobby on uh, Noel's house party where they're going out to film a show in New York and Noel has to tell Blobby that he's not coming with him. Right. And so he throws a tantrum. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. He goes up to the top of the stairs, he stamps, he slides down the wall. This guy is, this guy is just nailing it. But what that implies to me, it feels like you're holding everything together. Mm-hmm. So presumably there were times where you know people have said no to you, and you want to <laughs> smash your face into food, yeah, slide down a bat, really, of course. Okay. Do we not all have that that in our in in our psyches? Sometimes you just want to throw a tantrum. Yeah, but 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 not so. Saying... You're in a blobby. I don't know. <laughs> am I am I not seeing this? That like Dan as a sort of an an outside adjudicator. Where do you stand on blobby? I get it. I get it. Do you? Mm. Like what? What you get the the clowning of it? It's it's just completely nuts. And I think it's really British. Yeah. I don't. That is true. That is definitely you know. There's a lot of people have said this in the past, but having to explain Mr. Blobby to someone not from this country is one of the weirdest things you'll have to do. Yeah, man. Because it doesn't make sense that he's pink with yellow spots on. Yes. 
at all. Yeah. Why is that? What's his backstory? No one knows. Yeah. Because he, re- he represents something in all of us. And bear in mind, this is the time when over in America, the big show was Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, like, do you know what I mean? Where it's loads of <laughs> witty chat about yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just ageless, timeless, funny yeah. stories. And we've got a a, a man, he's probably called like Ian, yeah. dressed up as Mr. Blobby, running into a man called Noel. <laughs> Madness, man. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of person who can appreciate both Seinfeld and Blobby. Yeah. I think there's room for both. Yeah, there is. The, the definitely. Sphere. Have you ever met him, Blobby? Yeah. No. I know who's the. There's a, a, a self-esteem. Yes. She adores Blobby. Yeah. And Blobby was on a. <laughs> Channel 4, The Big Breakfast, I yeah. did it in the summer, and uh, Blobby rocked up, and she she was bloody excited. Yeah. yeah, she was like... But she was really excited. Over the moon to meet Blobby, yeah. Yeah. And he I, actually did a... I mean, to say he, basically, I think you have to pay to hire the suit, essentially. I think you can use Blobby and stuff, but... Who is the real Blobby? Is it... I it's been a few guys, I think. Oh, really? But I think you can... But the suit's, like, licensed. I think you have to pay to use Blobby's image. But that's um, my point. But who owns Blobby? Like, as in, where does the money from this? It must be the, B- the must be the BBC. But he had a number one sing- uh, yeah. single, and a theme park, and a theme park. Is your theme park? It well, didn't last long, did it? Right. It's still abandoned. I think. Wasn't, I that think in, you, wasn't it in Morecambe? Cricket St Thomas, Somerset, Morecambe, and Lowestoft. There you go. Just so three of them. Yeah, I remember wow. what John Richardson. Like one, one. I think it was one of the first things he ever said to me. It was, it was. I don't know. We started talking about Blobby, but he was like that bastard ruined Markham. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? With with stuff like that, does it evoke? How old were you when Blobby was around? Probably just the right age, like a young young kid. Yeah. So what, like eight? Like, yeah, seven okay. or eight, something like that. Yeah. So I think I would have been fifteen. How old are you again? I'm thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah. So I'm fifth, sixteen. Yeah. That's the wrong age for Blobby, I think. Yeah. I, it's like wrestling. I used to love I used to love Blobby and wrestling. Yeah. You know, fell out of touch with him for a while. Now I'm fully back in. It's funny though, isn't it, when things come along it's like bottom came along at the perfect yeah. age for me. Well that was in that BBC two comedy lineup yeah. of like you could watch stuff from like nine till ten thirty and yeah. there were like three brilliant shows in a row. Well, and and oddly, but that's why I never watched Friends as a kid. Yeah. Because you you had bottom and you had shooting stars. So that was what was competing with friends. Yeah. So it was like, how how could you possibly switch over from shooting stars? Do you not what... feel like shooting stars and friends is the same metric as Blobby and Seinfeld? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's very silly, deliberately silly British things. Yeah. And then like very sort of slightly smarmy American comedy. It is funny that, isn't it? That sort of, I think John Cairns has that, who's a brilliant comedian that if you've not heard of him, you should. He's, I think he's on tour as well. He's brilliant. He is, yeah. He's but fantastic. he has such a, he's so British. Mm-hmm. And Vic and Bob have that. Yes. I would say Acaster has that as well. Yeah. That, that sort of like, even the way he moves, you're like, I mean, he was born in England. Yeah. Like, do, like, do, like, do you know what I mean? It's very, I don't know, it's sort of an odd thing, isn't it? That it's hour... surrealism, but it's like worn in quite an um, uh, accessible way. And a sort of thing of like, we all sort of know we're a bit shit. But I think that's the infrastructure of it. If you come up through New York, you're, you're in a very boisterous mm-hmm. city, yeah, kill or be killed. The stages are tiny. So you have to dominate the yeah. room. You can't walk on and go, oh, God, I'm a bit rubbish. This, yeah, thing, yeah. this thing happened. Oh, God. It's almost the infrastructure. It's, yeah. very, it's very interesting how, broadly speaking, our comedy isn't 
the comics don't win. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but, but, and if you there is the rare instance of a British comic who is a comedian who wins, and everyone goes for that like that. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Not for me. Yeah. Whereas in the states, if you go and do a gig and you're like really self-deprecating, the other comedians can't believe it. Yes. They're like, why are you doing that? Yeah, man. Yeah. I remember doing that. First time I gigged in America and the MC was like, what are your credits? I was like, ah, I'm all right, man. Don't worry about that. So he literally went, this next guy's called Russell Howard. And then the crowd were like, oh, well, he's not worth listening to. Whereas in the UK, if they, well, you may have seen this guy from the Head of Shoulders advert. <laughs> you, you, you may have seen this guy. He was a warm-up for Blobby. was whatever. Yeah. And then the crowd would be in the UK... People are, oh, has he? He thinks he's big, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but the other way, and you, you realise actually when you're doing clubs, you kind of have to do that or yeah. they won't pay attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a, I don't know, like it, it feels the world of American stand-up has that kind of, come on, bro, let's fucking get out there. There feels like more of a division over there between those guys and like the alternative scene where yeah. it feels more amalgamated here. Yeah. In yeah. terms of like you could just, you could, Go and do gigs, and there'll be like a slightly a guy with more bravado, yeah, yeah. but then also like a little weirdo as well. So when is your tour starting? March next year. Okay, and what's this one called? This one's called Hot Diggity Dog, um, because I wanted a photo shoot with a hot dog, like a very high fashion photo shoot. But I've got ketchup and mustard all down my face. Okay, uh, and then I thought, hey, let's give it that title. You know what it's like with titles. Yeah, and I've I've done one word titles for so long. Because yeah. I thought I was cool. Yeah. And then I was like, hey, let's call it Hot Diggity Dog. Let's have something that I will have fun saying over and over again <laughs> in local radio interviews. Yeah. I had a title called, uh, I wanted to call my last show Gagan Jest. Oh, yeah. Which comes from the Jurgen Klopp in Germany in the Bundesliga. He invented a type of football right. called Gagan Press, where the idea is that you get the ball back as quick as possible and then you go again. It's fast tempo. So the idea being. I'm a fast tempo comedian, mm-hmm. Gagan Jest. And uh, I suggested this to uh, my agent and he was like, no. <laughs> but I kind of, there was a photo of me, my arms were kind of spinning everywhere. Yeah. And he was like, no one's going to get it unless you gig in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> or you're a, you're a real football fan. Also, you would have to explain it in that de- that level of detail every single time. Yeah. yeah. And you'd get so fed up with it <laughs> yeah. after a day of press. Yeah. Going, yeah. Um, so uh, Jürgen Klopp, <laughs> like, right. But I, but I made my last Netflix special was called Lubricant. Yes. Which came from, I had a phrase in it where I say, laughter's the lubricant that makes life livable. Yeah. So it felt like, but again, just every interview, <laughs> just people like, do, I'm particularly doing press in Australia. They're like, so, are you talking about lube for, no, I'm not talking, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about lube for an hour and a half. Real left yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so well, what's, what's wrong with going in dry? Mate, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Um, here's a question. When you're touring, Given that you're a foodie, do you have people bringing you food? Sometimes, some uh, like sometimes. Like, I think we're in Newcastle, and there's like a local bakery, less some stuff. Is that Stotty cakes? Uh, yeah, I had some Stotty cakes. Yeah, yeah. Some sometimes like local companies or you know local restaurants or you know deliver stuff backstage, unrequested. Yeah, which is always very nice. And like we had a brewery in Dundee as well. But drop off a load of beer. Presumably, that's only going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, or, it's or better. Worse, better yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, is yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Especially because I'm, you know, I'm on tour with a tour manager and a support actor. Who's your Who's your support actor? Chloe Petz. Oh right, again, who's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. she's going to be back on back on this tour. I mean, she's very good. You're going to have to really pick it up, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I like that. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. speak to so many comics who are like, you know, she's a bit good. I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be doing that. It's like, yeah. no, 
you got to, it's got to be a good show. You don't deliberately pick someone terrible for the beginning so you can have a better show. You need to make the whole show good. I love that, man. It was such a... You are... You're into a real range of stuff. Yeah, what I've realised is what I quite like is things that are popular but with a specific group of people that a lot of other people think are terrible. Yes. <laughs> and I really like that. I yes. like feeling like I'm going, not against the grain, but pushing against the tide of popular opinion. Yeah, but you know that you like them. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And you're happy to defend. Yeah, for sure. Whether it's Blobby or new Metal. Here's the thing. If Blobby ever did a metal song, yes. where would you stand on that? Well, I'd definitely I'd give it a listen. It's not, gonna, it's not going to surprise me, is it? Imagine if Blobby did a new metal song about Halloumi. Yeah, but how's he going to get how's he going to get the, the Halloumi theme across? Because he's only he's got one word, hasn't he? <laughs> you could, he could sort of make it rhyme with Blobby ish. Halloumi, Blobby. <laughs> I don't know. I think you need another guest singer to sing about Halloumi, and then he just Blobby's in the background. That was brilliant, mate. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for having me. The wonderful Ed Gamble. Cheers, Russ. That was great. So that was Ed Gamble. You can get tickets for his next tour, which we now know is called Hot Diggity Dog, uh, edgamble.co.uk. And his first book, Glutton, The Multi-Course Life of a Very Greedy Boy, is out now. Thanks for listening. See you next week.